0: Welcome to the first episode of the Music Rookie Podcast. My name is Rachel Hurley. Now, there's plenty of info about me all over the internet, so I'm not going to waste your time with a long intro about who I am or what my qualifications are. I'll just say that I've been working in the music industry for over 20 years, and I currently own a publicity firm called Sweetheart Pub, and I owe most of my success to my very deep list of contacts. So in order to help you learn more about the music industry, my partner, Frank Keith and I have decided to start sharing with you our conversations with those contacts. We hope to teach you the ins and outs of just about every facet of the industry. And we're gonna share with you the knowledge that we wish someone had told us early in our careers. By the way, Frank is in a band that's on the charts right now. So you'll get a working musician's perspective too. Today I'm gonna to speak with Shil Patel, who owns Tiger Bomb Promo, which is a radio promotion company. Now, using a radio promoter is how most indie artists get their music played on the radio. He's done promo campaigns for Sufjan Stevens, Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks, His Golden Messenger, Julia Holter, and so many more. Just check out his website. He's gonna share with us the components of a campaign, how he gauges if the campaign is successful, the hidden benefits of doing a radio campaign and give us some of his best advice to up-and-coming musicians. So thanks for joining me, and here we go. Well, why don't we just start at the beginning then? Just tell me how you got started in the music business. I know I remember you from working at Team Claremont. When I was at Ardent, you worked at Team Claremont, and I think that's how we came to know each other a little bit, Kind of tell us that storyline how did you get from there to here
1: yeah uh, in i I am from Texas and went to University of Texas at Dallas uh, and there was a small radio station that I had just launched there uh, as i as I was starting to take classes there and uh, I got involved with the radio station at that point it was it's called it's called radio Utd um, and it was internet only and still uh, is you know broadcast on the internet exclusively um but it was i think just six months old at that point um so it got involved as a dj first and then uh over the course of the next few years i uh, ended up being the music director at the station for a year and a half and then the station manager uh for a year and a half and the music director is the person Typically at a station that handles all the incoming music uh, from labels and promoters and artists directly, and determines like what what's appropriate for the station for airplay purposes, um, and then uh, and then makes that music available to to DJs. So that was my first kind of position at the station, and then. The station well, manager. Let,
0: me, let me stop you there real quick mm-hmm. because I didn't know that you were a station manager, and that's very interesting mm-hmm. because obviously a lot of independent musicians are mailing out their CDs to different stations. Um, were you like at, at a ranked station? Were you getting just like tons of uh, music all the time that you had to go through? Um, were you on like the CMJ list? Tell us all about that.
1: Yeah, this is back in the days of CMJ, uh, R.I.P. Well, I guess CMJ is resurrected now. They're 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 coming back. But uh, yeah, this was in two thousand and three, two thousand four, when I first got involved. Uh, and it, you know, at that point, since the station was new, we were really establishing ourselves and trying to make new contacts. So initially, a lot of what we were doing was reaching out to people and saying like, "Hey, we're one of the few." uh independent radio voices even though we are on the, on the internet in dallas and fort worth um and in, in particular in dallas uh there wasn't really any college radio presence at that point and um, fort worth has ktcu from uh, texas christian university which is a great station but you couldn't pick it up in dallas um and so there wasn't really a lot of uh you know like college radio presence there there's a, a great independent radio station but um So initially part of our pitch was saying like, Hey, we are one of the people, one of the places to go to in Dallas for getting new music out. Uh, And we started by basically getting labels to do the basic thing of just sending us their records as they were coming out. And then a lot of the labels were saying like, Hey, we work with this promotion company. You might want to just reach out to them. They'll be more on top of it in terms of getting you new music every week. Um, So then we started establishing relationships with more and more promotion companies, as well as getting on the direct mailing list for a lot of um, labels. And at that point it was still getting CDs in the mail. Um, Yeah. And, and those promoters are basically like working for a lot of different labels and, um, and artists directly. So it's, it's kind of like a, one-stop shop. So like a company like m- the one that I'm running now is considered like an independent promoter as opposed to like a label promoter, which is like somebody in-house at the label. But yeah, over the course of the, you know, even just a few months, we ended up getting on the servicing list at a ton of different record labels. And then we started doing, uh, you know, artist interviews and stuff like that to really kind of establish ourselves and um, got involved in getting to get this station established, we reached out to like Dallas Observer and the Met in Fort Worth. And there's a couple of blogs that were publishing our charts, like our weekly charts, just to kind of help us, you know, get the word out about the station, but also let people know what we played at the same time. So that was how, kind of how we got started.
0: Were you in cahoots with Chris from Gorilla vs. Bear?
1: Gorilla vs. Bear started publishing our charts, I think in like 2004, 2005. Um... You know, it's funny, Chris and I never met in person, but like we both went to UT Dallas. We both um, were involved in the music community there. And then I finally just met him at South by Southwest, like 2019. Uh, we finally met in person for the first time. He was like, I used to publish your charts. And I was like, yeah, Right. It's, um, but um, yeah, Grill versus Bear was one of them. Uh, the, there's another one called We Shot JR, which is like a Dallas. Fort Worth Denton specific blog that we published our charts as well. Um, Yeah, that's kind of how, you know, how we got the station kind of up and off the ground. After I uh, left UT Dallas in two, uh, at the end of 2006, I moved from Dallas to Athens and started working at team Claremont uh, in the radio promotion department. Uh, They, they do both. They they had PR and radio promotion. I think they started as a, radio promotion company and then um, added a PR department uh, and I think in the early 2000s kind of as the as music blogging was taking off um, they they kind of were uh, you know doing a lot of uh, outreach to like online music outlets when it wasn't really a thing at that point so uh, the the PR department came later but yeah I, I started in 2000 basically at the beginning of 2007 and then in 2009 I ended up Taking over, like becoming the head of the promotion department in 2009, um, and I worked there until 2016, late 2016, uh, and then in September of 2016, I uh, left and started uh, Tiger Bomb Promo, which is on my own, and it, and we just strictly do uh, do radio promotion.
0: So tell us about what that entails when um, your approach to do radio promotion, you know, from start to finish, what do you do for a musician? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, so, you know, we, the way that we come about, you know, taking on projects, there's, there's a few different ways, like, you know, somebody will, will approach us and say, okay, I've got this new record, either that they're putting out on their own, or maybe the a label's putting it out. Uh, or we will follow up with people as well. well. We might see like a stereo gum premiere for a song and say like, Hey, I like this band. I like this song. I'm going to reach out to the label and see if we can uh, get on board as in terms of being the promoter. Uh, so that initial conversation that we have with either the artist or the label or manager um, basically is getting a sense of what their goals are for a radio push. A lot of times uh You know, we might work with one artist who isn't going on tour. And so they just say, like, well, we're not touring, so radio is important for us to get the word out, you know, in lieu of touring. Um, And then there's other people that come to us and say, like, we have, you know, 120 dates this year. We really want to make radio, you know, part of the touring promotion uh, You know, side of things. So in that case, you know, then they want to make sure that we're getting interviews and in-studio performances when they're going to different towns. So um, we first try to get a sense of what their goals are and the timeline that they're working with as well. So um, typically when a radio promoter comes on board, the timeline for an album release is kind of already in place or most of the gears are already in place. You know, for the past few years, couple years at least, I'm starting to see more and more so like when a, when we are approached, there's usually not just the release date set, but also individual singles and when those are coming out, that's mm-hmm. been much more structured over the past couple of years than it ever has been before. And I think that has a lot to do with getting things lined up for DSPs and things like that. But um, so now we're more aware of like album announce date when each individual singles coming out and the release date. And that informs our, approach at radio as well um and so that initial conversation you know is us kind of assessing what they're looking for um the timeline and then also just talking about the music itself what's where it fits into the radio landscape what formats of radio stations it works at if there's specific genre uh, pushes that we need to make like if it's an electronic record or a hip-hop record do we want to you know make sure that we kind of specialize our campaign to focus on music directors at stations that deal with electronic music and, and hip-hop music. So those are some of the part, the pieces of the initial conversation that we have.
0: So let's talk about the different formats. Um, I'm obviously most um, knowledgeable about the AMA charts because <laughs> I work with a lot of Americana artists. Um, And I know there are AAA stations, and I know there are college stations, but tell me all the different stations and formats um, that someone would have to choose from when they came and spoke to you.
1: Yeah, so there are a few that we kind of have a better, like, understanding of and better relationships with. Uh, I would say the primary one is what is most commonly referred to as college radio. Uh, in the past couple of years I've been trying to give it a little bit more of a nuanced description because uh, college radio includes a lot of stations that aren't necessarily campus or university affiliated. So we um for example, you know, like KDHX in St. Louis is a community radio station. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily fit the, the the nom, you know, the the name, but um it moreover describes a lot of non-commercial radio, um, campus and university radio, uh, and then kind of just independent stations as well. Um, and the best way I can kind of like categorize it is there's a chart. Uh, we, we talked about CMJ a minute ago. Um, CMJ hasn't um, compiled any charts since the beginning of 2017, um, and then they... they Close their doors and just recently kind of announced that they're relaunching in, in CMJ's place, there's an organization called NACC, which is the North American college and community chart, uh, which basically is like this organization that takes data from stations across the country in Canada and compiles them on a weekly basis into different charts. Um, the biggest one that the, the most prominent one is the, the chart called the top 200 which is basically just the top 200 albums or records at radio at, at college and non-commercial radio in, in that week um, they also compile like genre charts again you know like uh, hip hop folk electronic um, and uh, that is kind of what I use as a descriptor for people like I'll say like the NACC panel and that kind of refers to this kind of collective of Stations that you know kind of are cross-format in some instances, because um, there is a lot of overlap between these. For example, like a lot of the Americana stations that you're familiar with are also considered, you know, AAA or non-com or college uh, radio. So there's a lot of crossover. Um, non-com is basically what it what it sounds like non-commercial radio, uh, which it does include a lot of public radio and NPR affiliates. Um, some good examples of non com stations would be like uh WXPN in Philadelphia, WFUV uh in New York in the Bronx. Um stations like that, uh KUTX in Austin. Um that
0: have, we have WEVL in Memphis. Yeah, WEVL
1: in Memphis is a good example like independent um or kind of public radio in a lot of instances. Uh, And typically what we see with non-com stations is a lot of them have a full time staff. So they might even be based at a university like WXPN is based, you know, uh, UPenn, but it's a more of a full time staff, like a kind of dedicated full time staff as opposed to being student run. Um, And then there's AAA, which AAA is, uh, you know, adult album alternative. Um, It's, you know, a lot of the AAA stations are commercial radio; they're owned by like a commercial radio entity. But there are some non-commercial stations that are considered uh, in the AAA panel as well. There, again, there's a little bit of that crossover there. Uh, and basically, the the AAA and non-com the stations, they're a little bit more um, adventurous in their programming and a little bit more willing to play independent artists and newer artists than a lot of mainstream commercial radio. Uh, but they're maybe not as wild and experimental and free form as college radio can be. Um, because I think a lot of non-commercial and AAA stations are really kind of in tune with listeners and what listeners are wanting to hear or what, or what they expect their listeners to want to hear. So there, there's always this kind of back and forth between like, Um, making sure that they're programming stuff that's a little bit more accessible, but also not something that you're gonna hear on every other station on the dial. Um,
0: So when you live in a city and you have your big country station or your big hip hop station or your big pop station, where do those land? What are those? Those are not AAA, right?
1: Yeah, we usually, you know, like a broad blanket term would be like, you know commercial radio uh, commercial yeah and then there's there's formats within that you know you have uh, you know active rock and hot AC and like there's there's all these various kind of um, specific types of uh, like there's a specific nomenclature for all of it based on kind of the genre that that they most often play
0: but you're not pitching to those stations, correct?
1: No, I don't, we don't really do much in the, in the sense of commercial radio, aside from there are uh, what we call specialty shows, which typically are, are, are on uh, alternative uh, radio stations that are maybe commercial alternative radio. But um, usually it's a, it's a station that has a host that gets to pick what they want to play uh on their own right. outside of what's already in rotation at the station so that that's our one kind of inroad at a lot of the commercial radio stations is specialty shows um because we can send you know on a week-to-week basis we can update those hosts with hey we got this new song that actually might be a good fit for your specialty show and they can choose to play it or not um typically those songs get played kind of on a two or three week cycle, I've noticed. And, um, and they get cycled out for new music a lot of times because it's, it's a lot of those specialty shows are, ba- are new music shows. So they try to focus right. on stuff that's coming out that week or in the past couple of weeks. Um, but it's a good, you know, it's a good opportunity because a lot of those shows have a really good following and some of those hosts have been doing it for decades.
0: So talk to me about exactly what the process is. Um, So are you still mailing out CDs to your list? And then once you do that, what's the follow up like? What, you know, what is the service portion Mm -hmm. of what you do?
1: Yeah. So the, 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 the the beginning or the, the, point of the campaign where we start sending out music is basically when the first single gets announced. So when that, usually it's with the album announcement, right? Like the first single will drop. Um, at that point, we make it available for stations to start downloading and playing. Um, and we have, the, we have a couple of ways of doing that. We have like a thing that we call the singles pack, which is basically a folder where all the songs from upcoming releases can go um, and get downloaded in, in one easy place. And there's also links to individually download new tracks as well. Uh, and we, uh, we update that weekly on Fridays. So if a single drops on a Tuesday, we'll, on Friday, we'll add it to that singles pack. Kind of a passive way of making it available to everybody. Uh, and then we also have, you know, um, we, we, we try to follow up with stations directly in, in instances where we might know that, hey, this station is the previous supporter of this, this artist. We want to make sure they mm-hmm. get the single right away. Uh, so we'll reach out to stations directly as well. Um, The formats of stations that we work with primarily are album oriented. So a lot of times we want to make the singles available to people uh, early on, but they might not necessarily add them into rotation at that point. They might say like, hey, this is cool. Thanks for giving us a heads up. But really when the album, when when we're closer to release date, that's when we'll probably be able to do something in terms of adding into rotation. So a lot of times we'll get that feedback from people. Um, But there are a lot of stations that will go ahead and add in a song to rotation early on in the push, like maybe even around the announced date. Um, So we we will make singles available as they're coming out in that way. And then closer to the release date, we typically do a mailing. Um, We have a list of um, around 200 that we try to ship to. And that list changes, it shifts over time. So it's not the same list uh, on each mailing. We try to make sure that it's active stations, stations that are relevant for the release. When touring is happening, we usually try to make the list line up with places on the tour or uh, on the mm. tour route. Um, and then try to include previous supporters if the artist has a history at radio, um, that sort of thing. So we try to tailor each list Uh, It's something that a lot, a lot of stations still ask us to do. Like we, I would ideally love to just get away from, from doing mailings at all. And, um, you know, I don't know if this is something you're discussing in, in the podcast or in in, in the series. Um, But, you know, because of the pandemic, we have had to reassess what that looks like. So we actually haven't done any mailings since late February. And um, because a lot of you know music directors were just not going to the office and checking their mail and a lot of people felt uncomfortable about getting packages. And then in the early phase, especially people were like, we're disinfecting every piece of mail that we get and it's just overwhelming. So um, a lot of people have told us like, hey, just add us to your digital only list now and we don't need CDs anymore. But there are a lot of stations that still need CDs to go in the booth um, for on-air purposes. Like they still want a disc because a lot of times, you know, they just don't have the infrastructure. Some of them don't have a musical library, that, a digital music library set up, um, especially a lot of college stations that just don't have the funding where they can digitize everything. Um, so it's still it's still something that we do, um, but I anticipate over the next few years that, the, you know, the, the idea of sending out CDs is going to slowly fade away. And I think we'll probably be, we'll probably move towards a digital only radio uh you know push in the future um but for now you know we still mail out we we typically would mail out disc and those would go out about two weeks before the release date to station and we also supplement that with a uh, a digital servicing of the album a week before uh typically a week before the what we call the ad date at radio um and the ad date is basically the day that we want stations to have Reviewed the album and made it available uh, in rotation for DJs to start playing it by that date.
0: I think that um, also this uh, pandemic is probably going to push a lot of people that didn't want to do digital to go ahead and accept that and get with the program on that. I've I found, mm-hmm. you know, because in the past I did have a lot of people that I would pitch that had to have the disc to even consider um, reviewing mm-hmm. it or writing about it. And now people are are more apt to just download it before when they would not want to.
1: Yeah. And I think like, you know, it's it's something that is inevitable. Like, I think it's something that we're going to have to inevitably say like, hey, we are using a lot of resources, you know, both financially and just the idea of like, mailing out all those CDs, the the carbon footprint of it, you know, is another thing to consider. But uh, yeah, I think it's something where we've been talking, I, I've, I've been involved in radio and, and, you know, this, this conversation for what, was 16 years and it's the very first CMJ I went to, I think there was a panel about let's move towards all digital. And that was in 2004. And I think that hasn't changed, you know, it's, it's something where like, eventually we're going to have to like, have that conversation and make it the final one and say, like, let's all make a move towards digitizing.
0: Something that I've always been curious about is, um, you pitching, uh, to college stations, um, does it suck that they graduate? Do you make, like, good connections with people there and then they're like, okay, see ya, and then you gotta, like, start over with the next person?
1: Yeah, it's, it, it can be kind of, a uh, you know it's because a lot of times like i end up becoming friends with people you know through the through this and um you know a lot of the music directors that i've talked to have ended up being you know good friends for life and uh that's great but a lot of you know a lot of times that means that when a station has turnover like that that it affects you know the station in general if if the next music director isn't as motivated as the previous one so a lot of times you'll see a station really on top of things for a few years and then the new new staff comes in and they just don't have the same enthusiasm or the same, you know, like kind of connection to the station that the previous staff did. And you start to see that, Oh, they just don't communicate with you as much anymore. They're not really adding new music in general. And uh, yeah, it, it's, I don't want really to get mad about it necessarily because I understand how it goes, but it's, it is it is kind of just, it's, it's more so just sad to see, like, the progress that one person makes towards getting the station really up and running just kind of, like, fall after they leave, after they graduate.
0: Right. It can be the same thing with pitching writers. There's high turnover mm-hmm. in music writing, and you can create, like, great relationships at different outlets, and then... Uh, They decide that they don't want to do it anymore or they go to a different outlet or whatever it is, you know, then it can like put you in a hole that you have to kind of dig out of and reach out to new people and create new relationships. You can never really get um, comfortable in the music business because it's constantly changing. There's no, and I can see how a music director at a college station might think that, oh, I want to do this. It sounds like fun. Sounds like something, you know, go play records all day. And then you see like the business side of it and all the Mm -hmm. work and you're like, Oh, maybe I don't want to do this.
1: It's the, I think it's, you know, the best job on my campus, I couldn't have imagined having a better job than that. And I got paid when I was a music director, um, which not every station has paid staff, but we, we were lucky. Um, the university of Texas has it in their charter that the people that work at stations get paid. So we, we were really fortunate. We had the best job and we, we got paid on top of it, but, uh, that was that also helped knowing that I had to do this because I was getting compensated for it. So well. like I, there were times where I was like, oh, there's like a hundred discs waiting on this desk, and my, you know, I had to review all of these, and I also had to take the phone calls from promoters who are going to ask me about what I'm doing with them. And um, there were times where like I just felt a little overwhelmed by it, but also realized like I'm pretty lucky to be able to do that.
0: So. Right. So that brings up two questions that I was going to talk to you about. Um one is is it a phone relationship with program directors at radio stations because i've I hear the a lot about radio promoters calling station managers and it being a conversation versus with p r it's more of like an email relationship
1: when I first started it was phone calls was phone calls were the 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 main way of like you know really getting something getting someone to pay attention to a record um, and weekly calls with people were really important. Um, And it's still, you know, something that is important. It's not, you know, I'll be honest, it's not something that I like um, do as much as I did when I first started in 2007, but we still have phone calls with stations um, that, that are receptive to it. Um, But more and more so um, people have kind of moved over to doing, um, email tracking, uh, and, uh, I think that's fine. It's efficient, you know, but it is nice to get on the phone with somebody and have a kind of, uh, more personal connection with them. You know, you can kind of get to know right. somebody a little bit better. And I think, um, you know, they, they take it a little bit more seriously when you do that.
0: Right. Well, we, I try to go to a lot of, um, conferences and panels and showcases and and that's where i do more of my like Mm one-on-one getting to know someone i think that there's so many pitches that writers get it would be impossible for them to really talk to all the people that are pitching them their inbox is already overwhelming Mm -hmm. so i try Mm -hmm. not to call people because i know that that's like taking like an extra chunk out of their day unless I'm like very close with them and we are friends outside of this.
1: Yeah. And I think in the PR world, a lot of writers have, you know, like writing is maybe one of their many jobs. Um, And so they're not, they're not maybe not just sitting at the desk waiting for publicists to call them. Um, Whereas a lot of music directors make themselves open to that. They'll have office hours that they publish and say like, Hey, I'm in the office at this time. Give me a call. Um, So they're a little bit more receptive to it as well.
0: And then the other question that I had from what you said about being paid, can you uh, tell, at college stations at least, can you kind of tell which students are being paid and which are not <laughs> by the level of their work? No,
1: nah, I, I can't really say that, um, aside from them just telling me, like, oh, I get paid for this job. You know. Other, otherwise, I don't know, But because there are some people I, I think that work in stations where they're not compensated that are super motivated and just do it for the love of it and and for the pride of, like, making their station really good. Um, So I think, like, it would be really hard to to gauge just by their performance. If
0: they're supported by a university, then the money should come from the university.
1: Yeah, it's just something where a lot...
0: They're kind of actually paying to be paid, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of the, you know, university, like, it's it's something that... um, was especially happening a few years ago, where a lot of campus radio uh, stations were getting sold off, like their licenses were being sold to, um, you know, other organizations, and uh, you know, saw several stations, you know, have to close down, um, you know, that were affected by it. Like uh, there was a station in Nashville uh, that was on Vanderbilt campus that, um, you know, that ended up having uh, their license sold. Uh, Rice University Station in Houston um, had that happen to them. There's a few others where the university I think saw that oh, we can sell the s e c license to another entity for however m- much and um, and they were take kind of taking that to basically say like, well, you know the university needs funding or you need, needs extra money right now and so they were selling that and and basically just getting you know, getting rid of the station, uh, the student run station. And, uh, there, uh, there was a few years ago, I think there's actually like a person, like one individual person who was going around and kind of alerting universities, uh, the administration, basically telling them like, Hey, you have this, you know, FN license that that's worth this much. You should sell it. And uh, a lot of the administration didn't realize that that's you know that it was that valuable and so they were making that call and uh it 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 was a real you know uh you know kind of concern for a lot of people and it still is you know just the idea of being vulnerable to to that
0: so basically a corporation probably came into Nashville music city and purchased their FCC license to start another commercial radio station
1: I think on that end of the dial like, it's not commercial radio but um like a lot of like times it'll be like, because uh, the, there's a certain range on frequencies uh, that are for nonprofits, um, which is why you'll see a lot of like public and non-commercial and not, not-for-profit Christian radio uh, on like one, you know, kind of the lower end of the numbers as far as like the frequencies go. I can't remember exactly what it goes up to, 90, maybe like 92.9 or something is cut off. I can't, I can't remember exactly. But basically anything below that on the dial is set aside for nonprofit. I don't I can't remember exactly what the deal was with the station in Nashville, but I think it was more so like in general, a lot of the a lot of Christian broadcasting companies were kind of going in and they had the funding. They had they have a lot of money to go in and buy those frequencies and then change the format basically.
0: Let's wrap up with talking about um when you do a radio promo campaign um what are your factors that make it successful
1: yeah I think uh you know it's a it's a really important question because it is a kind of nebulous thing like radio promotion and radio in general you know uh differs from PR because you know with press you can send somebody a link and say hey here's this article that you can always refer to but with radio it's you know a song that goes out on the air and then without tracking it, you don't really have much uh, in terms of knowing whether or not um, you know, you're know you getting any traction. So there's a few things that we look at. Um, there are the charts, um, which I mentioned earlier, the, the one that we look to for a lot of the community and uh, college radio information is called NACC. Uh, so for example, there's one chart called the top 30 ads, which is basically means in a given week, stations will submit their ten ads uh, up to ten they don't have to submit ten, but they're they're allowed to submit up to ten and those are basically ten records that they think are going to do the best at their station or the that are the best fit at their station for that week so that is a chart that is just a tally of you know if if a certain station submitted ten they'll you know they'll tally up all of the individual um ads and then make a list that's like you know, this record got the most ads. It had 70 ads, and that was number one most added record. The next one had 65, and that was the second most added. So that's a good baseline. You know, it's a good starting point to say, like, okay, how well was this received in the in the first week? It doesn't guarantee airplay, um, but it's a good indicator of, like, you know, the, the reception was good, and this makes us believe that we're going to get some good airplay and, and eventually, um, you know, get charts from it, so... Charts, when we talk about charts, uh, that same, you know, NACC also has uh, what's called the uh, top 30 chart that a station can submit. So basically they can put plug in the 30 most played records at their individual station that week. And Usually number one is the one that gets the most airplay all the way down to 30. Um, and each individual station will submit their chart and they compile those um, on Tuesdays and that uh, is weighted. So the, the ads are just a tally, just a straight up tally of how many things are getting played, but the top 30 charts are tallied and, or are weighted, sorry. And um, there's like a specific formula they use. So each individual station has a ranking uh, between one and five Um, and based on a few different factors that I actually I'm not even aware of what NACC criteria are for weight weighting, um, but I know in general it's things like listenership, frequency, um, you know, those sorts of things uh, that, that give a station a higher weight than somebody who might not have as many listeners or might not have, you know, they might be a 10 watt station, might not have a big range one through 30 is weighted and then they, they compile all of that and then they put out a top 200 chart every week. And so that's another milestone that we look to is like, are we on the top 200 chart? So typically in the first week of a campaign, first full week of the campaign, we're trying to get on the ads chart. And then in the weeks after that, we want to see the record get you know, onto the top 200 chart and hopefully move up and up um, each week. Um, and that's, 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 those are just two of the kind of things that I think most people look at when, when it's talking about radio, cause it is, it kind of gives numbers, you know, and, and you have some kind of metric there. But the other things that I look for are airplay, seeing, you know, our stations playing this. And we have a few different ways of seeing which stations are playing records. Um, so we try to keep track of who's playing what, playing which songs. And then also just engagement in general. So, for example, like if the band is on tour and we're setting up a lot of interviews and in studio performances while they're on the road, I think that's another good indicator that the campaign is going well um sometimes that works where you know we're seeing a lot of in engagement with a station on in those ways like interviews and sessions uh but you know they might not there might not be a ton of chart activity or airplay um but that doesn't mean that it's not going well, you know it just means that You know one one aspect of it is really kind of taking precedent and that that might be the 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 live the live performances at stations versus um making it on the top 30 chart
0: and um when i work with a client they don't always have a radio promoter um but i always like it when they do because then the radio promoter can set up those live sessions and those interviews because uh you guys tend to have a like a lot better relationship with radio stations Mm -hmm. Um, I have good relationships in certain cities um, but that is a good thing that they can take with them and use for promo and always have you know if you you can use that when you're trying to like book your tour or you're putting in your electronic press kit or on your website or on your social media and um, a lot of that stuff happens through uh, a radio promoter versus a publicist.
1: Yeah and there, I we really you know I think there's a lot of when when things are going well for the campaign, I think I usually see that there's a lot of interplay between the press and the radio. Like we use press so much to get the word out about the records that we're promoting. Our social media is basically us sharing good press that comes in for the artists that we work with. And we share that with stations uh, directly as well when we're trying to set up sessions. So like, hey, look, they did this really cool audio tree session in Chicago. So this is what it could look like if they came into your studio and did a performance, you know, and I think vice versa. Right. I think a lot of, a lot of publicists use that same kind of info when they're going to audio tree to say, look at the KEXP session.
0: And, uh, and it's funny that you mentioned audio tree, because I believe they set up their sessions through tour managers. So like, different, yeah, I think a lot of
1: those. Yeah.
0: Right. So like different, it just, you kind of just have to know the outlet and how they work. And every mm-hmm. outlet might work a little differently. So, um, and we all overlap a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, you know, uh, I send out a press release to all the AMA stations, but I don't talk to anyone there directly. Yeah. So I can get you know on people's radar, but they need someone like you to actually be able to like speak to someone specifically and find out, you know has the record been listened to, is it going to go into rotation, are people liking it, all that kind of stuff where they won't get that information from me.
1: Yeah, I think it it you know, it's one of the big reasons why somebody hire like any you know, I think anybody could theoretically run their own radio promotion campaign and we offer we do offer that sometimes to people like if they really are on a budget, we can offer them some options to do it themselves. Um but a lot of it comes down to just the the relationships that we already have and the name recognition when they see that it's coming from us, that we've vetted it, you know, and that they can say, well, you know, we play a lot of other records that Tiger bomb sends us. So more than, more likely than not, we'll be, we'll be more interested in playing this um, because they know where it's the source that it's coming from. So a lot of times you, as an, as a client, you're kind of hiring a promotion company just to get your foot in the door in terms of name recognition as well.
0: Right. You are you hit the, the nail on the head when you talk about relationships being kind of the most important thing. Um, you can reach out to anyone yourself, but mm-hmm. getting them to actually put any time or effort into checking out what you send them is going to be harder doing it yourself. You're welcome to try. But I always yeah. tell people, you know, you're not paying me for sitting at my computer and sending out an email. Yeah. Um, you're paying me for the years that it took to get in the good graces of a writer or be especially known as someone who represents this type of artist or, you know, to just to be able to kind of be, get past that gatekeeping system. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Are there any, um, like, outlets that you look to that tell you more about the radio business like, I mean, for like the music general business, you know, we look at billboard and uh, those kind of outlets, but is there like one that caters to radio promotion and tells you like the ins and outs of radio? There's a
1: few um, outlets that kind of um, have radio specific news and updates. You know, you might see, you know, for, like if a station hires a new GM or something like that, you might see that pop up on billboard or something like that. Um, but in general, there's, there's some specific places uh there's an organization called FMQB that that also compiles charts, and FMQB will often have um, news updates as well. And then um, there's All Access, which also does a lot of um, updates for for the radio-specific kind of news as well. And they'll they'll do features on, um, you know, they'll they'll basically pick like staffer at a certain station, or maybe a publicist, or something like that. Um, and and do like an individual feature on them. But I think All Access kind of has a lot of uh, kind of radio news in all in one place.
0: Right. So I'm going to wrap things up with asking you two final questions. Okay. One is, is there a piece of advice that you give to your clients?
1: Uh, there, you know, there's there's one thing that I think is kind of a common thread when um when I'm talking to clients, especially when it's artists that are coming to us directly, like artists that are self-releasing and hiring us. A lot of label people kind of know how, how this works. Um, but with artists, one thing I like to recommend to them is to take their time um, and not rush their record release and the plan that they have for it. Um, you know, I think there's definitely an impetus. A lot of times, as an artist, you know, you've written these songs over the course, especially if it's your debut record, right? These are songs that you've been writing and working on your entire life up to that point. So this is the culmination of your life's work and you're ready for people to hear it. You know, you really want people to get it, get it out there. And I think like there's definitely the desire to just put it out and there's nothing stopping anyone from mm-hmm. doing that these days, right? You can put out a record, you know, immediately if you want to, but, um, you know, I usually recommend to people like, Kind of, you know, think about all the different aspects of what goes into releasing a record. What makes the most sense for you in terms of like, do we want to hire a publicist? Do we want to hire a promoter? And take your time and not, don't rush, don't rush it. Like, don't get the masters and then put it up on SoundCloud right away. Um, If your goal is to, you know, get a publicist and get a promoter and do these things that that a lot of people do, um, you know, just take a breath and. And kind of, you know, do some research, put put the feelers out, and try to put together a little bit of a plan that might, you know, might stretch it out three or four months or five months or whatever. But at least that way you're you're making sure that you've at least looked into it and 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 you know, kind of considered some of the alternatives before just going head first into it.
0: Right. I know I've gotten um, emails from people before that. um, they made a record and they just released their first single and then nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And then they contact me and they're like, okay, well, we now know that we need press. And I'm like, well, you already released the best song. <laughs> you know?
1: It's yeah. already out
0: there. So there's not much I can do with it now.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's, um, it's something you know, I I never would like, you know, I, the people often were like, ah, I messed up. And I'm like, hey, you know, these are things that you learn and it's not, you know, I think, a lot of times people consider there that there's one right way to do things. And, um, there isn't, and especially now, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways and there's a lot of creativity and flexibility in how you release something. But I think the the key is really before, before you start making decisions on releasing stuff publicly is to really just kind of, um, sit back and say, let me put some thought into how I approach this first, um, put it, put a game plan together.
0: And then my final question kind of works with that a little bit, because it's what's the biggest mistake that you see musicians make? Would you say that's it, or do you have something else?
1: You know, uh, I think, you know, like you said, it does connect with that. And I, I hesitate to call it a mistake, because I think that also implies that we have everything figured out on the industry side. Like, we're, we're doing everything right, um, which is definitely, you know, not the case we can see that there's a lot of uh there are a lot of changes that need to happen in the on the industry side as well um so I, I always hesitate to tell an artist like well you're doing this wrong but i do urge them to again you know i think um take the time to research things i think the one thing i would say is like if you are paying somebody for a service then take the time to research them, vet, vet that person, like me. Like, if you're hiring me to do radio promotion, don't just hire me out of nowhere. Like, you know, take a look at our roster. If you know other artists who have hired me in the past, go to them and say, hey, what was your experience with Tiger Bomb? Was it worth Was it worthwhile? What are some things I need to be aware of going into this? Uh, you can ask people about, you know, you can ask people that how much did you spend on this campaign? and what You know, like, what are you getting into? Um, before you pay somebody for services I think that would probably be the one thing that I would I would want to you know kind of say like don't don't just um, go into something blindly there there are resources available to make sure that you're partnering up with the right people um, when it when it comes to getting your music out there it's it's your art it's something that you're you know passionate about it's something that you put your energy and your soul into, and um, you, know, you want to make sure that the people who are representing you, uh, you know, rep- match your values, represent your values as well. I think that, um,
0: and I think you're, you're probably like me where sometimes we say no, sometimes we can see that we're not the right person to yeah. work with that, whether it's the genre of music or um, how far along they are with their career, what their expectations are. Um, there's a myriad of factors. Um, it's not like hiring a mechanic where <laughs> you show up and they take the work no matter what it is. Um, we do like seek out projects that we think that we are going to be successful uh, at versus just taking whatever comes through the door. That's very
1: true. Just, yeah. So that
0: might mean you need to check out s- several different people. Um, and then compare what they're offering, and you know what their style is, and all that kind of stuff.
1: That, that's exactly right, right. Like there are specialists, you know. For example, like uh, talking about Americana, for example, you know, there are public there are promoters that are much more well versed in Americana promotion than I am. Uh, and so, in some instances, what I when I hear a record, I'm like, you know, this could could get played at college radio, but it really is a good fit for Americana. Then. I'll say like hey we might not be the best fit but I'll recommend you to some other people that I know who I think could do a better job for you and your resources would be more well well used for that. Just like yeah like taking a car to a mechanic like if there's a if you if you drive a Mercedes and there's a car that a mechanic that that specializes in German motors it might make sense to just take it there you know like so they really can do the right job.
0: Right. And we want to we want to be successful at our jobs. Like the last thing I want to do is take on a client that I don't think I I'm gonna be successful working with, and then have that hanging over me the whole time. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, anything else you want to talk about? Anything we we didn't hit that you think is important to talk about when you're talking about radio promotion? Uh,
1: you know, the only thing other thing really is like you know, there's one other thing that I let people know about uh, when when it comes to doing radio promotion. Um, that it's kind of unseen in terms of like what you get out of it. Uh, and that is that a lot of the people that we're reaching out to, especially like at these college stations, um, you know, they're just getting kind of started uh, in this process of like kind of figuring out what they want to do in the music industry. So uh, aside from just the airplay and interviews and things like that, uh, a lot of the people that we work with at College Radio end up going on to work at Record labels and venues, and writing about music, and you know, in PR firms, you'll find that a lot of people who are in the music industry got their start because they they worked at college radio and kind of fell in love with the idea of like being part of that world. Um, so it's a kind of unseen benefit, I think, in a lot of ways, of getting your m- music out to this kind of panel of people who are going to be really active. And vocal in their community uh, about you know the music that they that they're playing on air and the music that they love. Um, I think that's an important thing to remember as well,
0: yeah, so you're you're getting uh, getting in there while they're young, <laughs> making probably making some of the strongest connections that they'll have for life, right? because they're still very enthusiastic um about everything.
1: I think so, yeah, I think you know, and I've often you know had art conversations with artists who have said like, yeah, we played at this venue in Philly and the person who was you know in the green room was like oh i used to play your record at Drexel you know and that kind of thing is you know common it's it's yeah. a it's a small world for sure uh
0: do you know how many records you've done promotion for
1: uh i started in 2007 and i don't i have no idea since then but i know since uh since starting tiger bomb we've roughly promoted around 300 320 records something like that uh in about three and a half years
0: so if someone wanted to hire you they just go to tigerbomb.com uh
1: tigerbomb i wish i had tigerbomb.com i can't (laughs) i can't afford that url uh but tigerbombpromo.com um that's where you'll find all the info
0: well thank you shill i really appreciate you coming and talking to me and giving me a lot more insight into radio promo
1: oh yeah it's great to talk to you thanks for inviting me and um I like what you're doing. I like this idea a lot. Thank
0: you. And there you have it. Thanks to Sewell for taking the time to chat with me and being on our first episode. If you'd like more info on him or his services, go take a look at his website or shoot him an email. Be sure to tell him that you found out about Tiger Bomb on the Music Rookie Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in more insider information just like this, be sure to check out our weekly newsletter. You can sign up on sweetheartpub.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next one comes out. If you have a specific question, feel free to tweet me or shoot me an email. I am not hard to find. Now, go do something useful.